Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, Senior Editor at Food & Wine, coming to you from my apartment in Brooklyn, where the dogs bark, where people arrive at the door, where the subway rumbles under my apartment, and you can hear it all. Hope that's okay. It's 2021. Stuff happens. Little did she know at the time she was writing it, but Anita Lowe's Solo, a modern cookbook for a party of one, became, for many, the ideal guide for this time in history. The 2001 Food & Wine Best New Chef and much-lauded chef, author, and TV personality joined Communal Table from her home on Long Island to talk about the ever-changing role of chefs, cooking for pleasure, coping in a tough kitchen, and the free online cooking classes she's teaching to celebrate the release of the film A Writer's Odyssey and The Year of the Ox. I know. We're very, very fancy here at Communal Table. Anita, I'm so happy to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Ah, such a treat. I've been such a fangirl of yours for a long time. I've gotten to have your food. And the second your name showed up in my inbox was, yes, (laughs) yes, please. (laughs) Because you are so fascinating because you have, your evolution as a chef is a really tremendous uh, thing. And who the heck knew that you wrote the perfect pandemic cookbook? Let's talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know at the time. Oh my gosh. So let's talk about that cookbook. It's such a brilliant thing. It's the choice cooking for yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was really fun to write. And uh, like, you know, I think so many people are operating in isolation right now. And, you know, sometimes like, I don't mind isolation so much in in some instances, but did I want a year of it? Not necessarily. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how are like, so just to set the scene, where are you talking to me from? Um, I am in, I am in my living room in my house on Long Island. Okay. And you've got a dog. <laughs> and I've got a little dog here and I've got a cat and I've got, well, they're not really my cats, but I've got two outdoor cats. I'm becoming a cat lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pride. That is wonderful. I actually just sent a friend a birthday card, uh, like just about the joys of being a cat lady. <laughs> I mean, it's apropos for these days, I'll tell you. I really think, like, taking care of yourself is a hard shit right now. It is, you know, it's intensely difficult. And we're all, you know, I'm quarantined here with my husband. And that is, you know, a lovely thing. You know, but I'm so tired of our cooking. Oh, my God. We make the same things kind of over and over, even if we don't mean to. And it's just habit. And uh, our editor-in-chief, Hunter Lewis, wrote this incredible thing about cooking ruts in the most recent uh, issue. But, you're, you know, I need to pick up your book again because it is ideal for this. But we were talking about the sort of the meditation of, of cooking and maybe using that almost as self-care, would you say? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I find it self-care for me. I am a professional chef. <laughs> you know, I've chosen to make a lifetime of it. So I'm a little crazy, but yeah. I mean, I think it takes that for the job, especially these days. And uh, the reason in particular that uh, your folks had reached out, not that I hadn't wanted to talk to you like this for ages now, but this is the perfect peg for it, is you're doing a cooking demo for Chinese New Year. And I noticed that the people you are doing this with is called 100 Pleats. And I'm just like imagining the sort of meditation of pleating dumplings. I cannot say that I have done that, uh, but I just, I see it on screen and it looks like such a beautiful uh, thing to be able to do. Yeah. I mean, I did it as a small child. Like, you know, my family used to gather on Sunday mornings, not every Sunday morning, but Mm -hmm. often uh, for some reason it was a Sunday morning thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mom would make the filling and roll out the dough and me and my siblings would, do all the folding and it was it was fun it was you know like a crafts you know, session and we would get to eat what we made at the end um yeah that is a lovely thing to be able to do and i just 
I keep thinking right now about, you know, we're coming up on a year in quarantine and all of the holidays that have happened during it and all of the celebrations and all of these, and I'm finding myself craving ritual and connection you know, more than ever before. So I feel like Chinese New Year, the notion of people sort of collectively doing this, like even in their isolation, but getting together for something like an online cooking class and being able to do this all together, there's something really powerful in that. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they say that food brings people together and, um, you know, even with this COVID challenge, through this through, through this COVID challenge, we were able to bring, you know, a lot of people together. A lot of people have signed up for this. So it's yeah. exciting. Yeah, and it's tied together with a movie as well. Oh, no, no, this, that's that's something else. I'm oh, wow, you're just doing everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I am in demand this week. Um, <laughs> you should be in demand. But you should be in demand all the time is the thing. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. But, uh, <laughs> well, you. I demand you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, yes, no, I am doing a uh, the 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 hundred pleats one is um, you know it's something that you have to sign up for, mm-hmm. but the one that I'm doing with uh, CMC Pictures mm-hmm. um, it is is free and it's going to be an Instagram live um, demonstration. I'm going to be making um, longevity noodles and it's for it's in in celebration of Chinese New Year and the release of A Writer's Odyssey, which is a, this new, um, really fun fantasy action film. God, I could use the escape right now. <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm so interested in the chefs who have been able to really, you know, creatively you know, find ways to to operate throughout this. And it's something that I've always really appreciated about you because you've, you know, you've been a restaurant chef and that has always been such a deep part of you. And we'll get to like the fancy ass French like parts of, of, of that, but you've always done so many other things. And I think of you as sort of a polymath because you're also on TV and you also write books and you've also figured out other ways to, you know, adapt during this time and do these classes and things. When you were starting in this, I mean, you were you were cooking in all the the fancy French kitchens. You cooked at Chanterelle, which is one of my like top five restaurants of all time. Oh. It's God, that place was magic, and I think about it all the time. <laughs> and I cook from that staff meals at Chanterelle book uh, on the on a pretty regular basis. But can you talk about? I think there are a lot of chefs now who maybe hadn't been in a situation before where they had to do something other than just being on the line, and. Could you, like, what is the emotional process of that? What's the creative and professional process of figuring out all of these other ways to be a chef? Well, yeah, it it, it, it was sort of an interesting um, development, you know, with the advent of, like, the Food Network and stuff like that. Yeah, we, we suddenly had to, you know, have these public personas. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah, and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but a lot of us aren't really you know, good at that. I think a lot of us are shy and like to, oh my you know, be in our kitchens and control uh, things, you know? Head down and cooking. And like most chefs I know are total introverts and have had to find this extra gear. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, it, it, I, I sort of took it as a challenge, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I understood at the time that, you know, in order to have a successful restaurant in New York City, you had to you know, do all of the promotion that you could. And, you know, so when the Food Network came calling, I said, you know, of course said yes. And it was really fascinating to me. It's really fun for me to see, you know, other people's, you know, workplaces and, you know, how 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 television gets made. I mean, that, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. So how did you find your, your comfort in doing this and you know this is a conversation i've had with various chefs who have had that and they feel like they've almost had to create a character doing acting classes or something you know i spoke extensively with uh rocco despirito about this because you know he's been really open about the fact that like, he suffers from like crippling anxiety and even just to go out and talk to guests was a challenge but he had to have this Aww. whole other team i love that man i love him so much and uh, and you know and but it's a different thing because when you are in the kind of education and everything like that, that you've had, it's not like people were thinking, Oh, and you needed to do this and this and this. So what was the thing you had to do? 
What What do you mean? I, you know, I think I just went out and did it. I don't think <laughs> I, you know, I, I certainly didn't take acting classes um, or anything like that. Um, you know, I just sort of learned on the job. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it was what it was. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was terrifying. Um, yeah. But yeah, and, some, and it still is to a certain degree. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. I, um, yeah, the second guessing after it's been done is, is the worst, but, um, you know, it, uh, it, it's all just part of the job. Yeah, well, it is now, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, so, you know, let's talk about how you started with, all of this, because, you know, I've been talking with a lot of chefs, uh, you know, who really came from this, this thing where, you know, as they were coming up, you know, French was seen as kind of the paradigm of all of this. So that is the education that they got. And then maybe later they had to, you know, fight for some sort of individuality or even like, like a sort of ingrained within themselves notion that, you know, their maybe food they grew up with was just as worthy as that. Um, when you were cooking, and let's just talk about how did you decide to do this? Um, well, I was studying French at the time. I was uh, getting my BA in French, and mm-hmm. um, I ended up spending some time in, in, in Paris um, and just really fell in love with, you know, everything French. And, of course, you know, French culture is, is, is all about food. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I was in college, so I was learning how to cook for myself, and you know, I wound up in a cooking school over there, and, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, something just clicked in there and, and knew. And yeah, absolutely, it, it chose me. It did not. I did not choose it. it chose me. <laughs> Are you ever mad at it for choosing you? Oh God, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> you so, don't think that way, really, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, like damn you! If I had only been able to like go and do something else, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, did I like want to be a writer? No, it's <laughs> not my fault, man. So, <laughs> so when did you start uh, like cooking in professional kitchens? And because uh, I want to talk about this, because you, you you've cooked in some restaurants that I you know hold dear. Yeah, um, I, right after I graduated from uh, college in 1988, I went to go work at um, Boulet mm. um, that summer, and yeah, stayed there for a year. Uh, um, yeah, and then kept going. I went to work at Chanterelle. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a really long training. You know, yeah. I, I kind of went from being a line cook to an executive chef. And um, yeah, and I, I think to your point that you made earlier, um, you know, it, because I hadn't had so much training, I, I think it was easier for me to, you know, become myself if, if that makes any sense absolutely does because i mean that the kitchen culture in the 90s is a a thing of particular fascination uh, to me <laughs> and how it is you know shaping what is still happening right now and the brutality of a lot of it but if oh, you God, yeah. but if you were in a place where you were learning a different kind of thing or learning to trust different instincts that's that's really a huge and amazing thing if you get to so you didn't have as many if you didn't have as many bad habits to have to unlearn yeah i mean yeah i mean i think the, the i mean it, the problem with the industry though all stems from from that i mean it, it trickles down and uh yeah i mean hopefully we'll get a chance to fix it i think it, it's going to take some time but um yeah so then, through all of this, like, how did you learn to be a boss? Oh, that was on the job. That was really painful. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think you, you use what your experience as a line cook, work, you know, working for somebody else and, you know, how you would like to be treated. And, um, you know, you, you, you try to apply that. I mean, nobody's perfect. Um, and I certainly yeah. feel like I became a better boss you know, as I got more experience. Um, but yeah, I learned on the job. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it is a really tough thing. And I, and I, I think there's, you know, I, well, I know there's so much reckoning going on right now because as people are, you know, taking this as a pause and realizing like, I don't want to go back to how things were before because that wasn't, 
good for people. And I think people, you know, in both, you know, kitchens and in media are now looking at, you know, what, you know, what, how can the future be? How can we undo what's in the past? But also sort of looking at all the people who probably left and never got their shot because it was such a brutal culture. Yes. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, like, what was it in you that was able, you were able to just keep going, deal with any of, you know, that, that kind of culture and keep going and decided like, yeah, I still want this to be my life and not go back to it being a, you know, studying French and all of that. I mean, you know, I, mean, I, I, I didn't have the best childhood. Uh, <laughs> hey, a <laughs> lot, lot of us. Pal. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I do think this industry really, you know, a, a attracts you know broken people i mean yeah. why else would you put up with all of that you know i mean it's just sort of like if this is if you grew up in this kind of you know mis mistreatment is is your norm i mean and mm -hmm. you get into another thing that's sort of mistreating you 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 know it's, it's just normal and you just keep going you know <laughs> It's, you know, I was talking about uh, about this with a friend uh, last week, and she was saying a, a place that she used to work, there was kind of a joke that, like, everybody here, like, in order to survive, everybody there had a parent who was an alcoholic or a sibling who had special needs. And you, because those are the kind of coping skills that you, you know, and or family dynamics that you have to have to do that. And I, but I think you're, you're very right. I mean, it's, it's something that's been both glorified about the industry that, Hey, it's this, you know, ragtag, tough bunch of pirates and all that. Yeah. But also, <laughs> yeah. And I think we're, you know, going through a big reckoning of, of that now. And, you know, I, so you, you, you haven't been in a restaurant for a while, but like, you're still very, very fully a chef. And I've seen a lot of people struggle with that during this time where they're like, if I'm not on the line right now, who the hell am I? And uh, yeah. can you talk about that sort of emotional process of still like understanding you're, you're fully a chef, even if you're not on that line, because I know that people, you know, from the industry listen to this and maybe are still struggling with that identity crisis right now because they don't know what the future holds. Yeah. When I was thinking about closing Anissa, like so many people asked me that question. It's like, you know, they're just saying, well, a lot of people are having a hard time post, you know, not, not actually being on the line um, with their identities. It's just like, who, who are you? And I've, I've, you know, I, I've I've seen other people talk about it. Just, you know, from the beginning was when I was a a cook, um, but yeah, I mean, it it is an adjustment, but I I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I feel like after seventeen years, I should of and after everything that I've been through to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to you know to to get to the point where I am I mean I think I should be able to just step away and and still have get get a little bit of respect for what I've done you know <laughs> you should get a lot of respect oh, hello yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean you're a need low for god's oh, sake thank you but yeah I mean it's just you know it, it you know I, it, and it's time for other people to to step up I mean I, I don't need to you know it, it's unfortunate that yeah, if you need to be in the spotlight to all the time to to feel good about yourself, then I think you need to really look at look at that, and because there's a problem in that, you know. Yeah, there's this you know valorizing of the masochism of it that I think, or at least I hope, is going to you know go be reconsidered as we move forward because uh, it's prime time for masochists right now. I mean, there's, you know, emotional, physical, whatever it is uh, kind of thing. But I think there's, you know, a reckoning now. And I see chefs who I'd always considered to be like, you know, the hard party animals or the people who really took pride, you know, pride in the clopin or any of that stuff. Yeah. The people who actually had to have a reckoning and maybe, you know, take care of themselves a little bit more. Maybe they're doing yoga. Maybe they're doing, you know, whatever it is because they, and they, you know, they wrecked their knees and their back in the kitchen and they're looking to maybe, you know, see the next generation not do that. Like, did you have to learn to take care of yourself like physically? And what are those things that you're doing? Oh God. Yes. I mean, I, I, 
worked myself literally to the bone. I had yeah. more cartilage in my knees and <laughs> yeah. I ended up having to get, you know, one of them replaced and I'm, you know, I'm on my way to getting the other one replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I remember working, there was one time when I was working so hard and I just, you know, running business and I was running a business by myself at that point. Um, mm-hmm. cause you know, my partner had left and I, um, couldn't get myself to the doctor <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I just kept on putting you know by the time like I could call it was like too late you know because mm-hmm. you know we work weird hours and then um finally I ended up going to one of those like you know right aid like clinic yeah. things um because it was open and then um and then wound up in the emergency room for th- and and they kept me in the emergency room for three days oh my god yeah um, I had the shingles and, um, yeah, it was <sighs> terrible, but I mean, yeah, that was, it's so, it's just stupid. It's completely inane. <laughs> and these shingles is a stress related disease. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, now, I mean, you know, I, I, I've, I, I closed the restaurant and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, up until the pandemic, I was, I was doing a lot of traveling, which I love. Yeah. I miss it. Yeah, I was. I work with this um, with uh, this company called the Tour de Forks. <laughs> I, yeah, it's great. I um, host. I help host um, uh, culinary tours tours around the planet. It it is the best thing. Goodness, so that sounds lovely. Yeah. Well, we've got two more spots for Norway um, <gasps> fall. If you want to come with us, I uh, got <laughs> to. I actually got to go to Norway uh, in toward the end of 2019. And the second I was there for, I think 48 hours. I was doing a talk, and the second I left, I wanted to come back. It's such a special place, and oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And I, I was so delighted to try some of the, you know, just foods, berries I'd never had before, eating, a, you know, a whole lot of different things I'd, I'd never had there before. And it was just the, the clarity of like the birch tree cooking that was happening there was such a special thing. Yeah. I met, I met a, a, a dairy farmer. He only has six cows and he makes the best butter I've ever had in my life. And it just... Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I'm like, I'll give you his information. He has something called Fanrum's Garden, and he only uh, has he only uh, does butter for one restaurant in uh, in I think it's in uh, Oslo, and it, or is it Trondheim? Uh, but it's it's spectacular, and I don't know. I just really it made me even though I was there for such a short time, just the rest and respite of it made me realize I need to stop and breathe. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a beautiful thing. So how did you happen to pick Norway or did they pick Norway? How does this happen? Um, my, uh, um, sort of forks, um, uh, the, it's, it's run by two women, Lisa and Melissa and they, and they picked it. Um, I think, uh, we went on a reconnaissance tour, mm-hmm. um, the year before, or yeah, the, I guess that was like last year or I don't remember or the year before. Um, and it was just spectacular. Um, so now, you know, um, yeah, so we, we just really do our research and try to find the best foods and the best experiences and the best hotels and stuff like that. I just remembered the name of the restaurant. It's Credo. And oh, cool. Yeah, and it is just a spectacular thing, and it's the sort of uh, thing where my it's uh, my eyes rolled back in my head when I had this. Oh, this oh I love that. Yeah, exactly. It was, and and the man who makes it is, uh, you know, I think a you know a, he's a scholar, he's an academic, and he dresses up in traditional uh, Norwegian clothes, and it's I'll, <laughs> I'll send you his Instagram, but it was just the most beautiful thing, and it was a, also a way of life that I was encountering there that felt so in some ways different to American kitchens and American chefs in the way that, you know, I I met people who have a restaurant in Oslo and they would close it for, you know, a month or two a year and take time off. And yeah, kind of unheard of for a lot of, well, you can't do that. Unfortunately, you know, it's just, that's not, that that's not financially viable. Unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, I would, I would do it if I could. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, everybody's sort of gotten a sort of unwanted uh, time, time off during this time, but it's not, you know, uh, during a time when you could do that sort of pause and reflect thing instead, it's sort of stay indoors and panic kind of. Right. Of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but 
those when when you were you know at the restaurant twenty four seven and stuff, did you were you able to ever travel and make time for yourself? You know, we went. I think we did take maybe one or two vacations. Um, in the you know, with with my previous partner Jennifer, um, I do remember we went down to uh, Florida together. I think we might have gone to did we go to New Orleans together? Oh, yeah. Special place. I miss it. <laughs> yeah, but I think you know we I I did we did get sent on um, you know sort of work vacations. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and they were they were work related, but they were fun and. And relaxing, like you know, we got. I think um, we went to uh, Bordeaux uh, with Sapex um, or something like that. Um, the you know the wine consortium over there sent us over there with a bunch of uh, of um, of sommeliers, um, and that was that was a blast. Uh, we went to um, oh, I won a trip to Australia. <laughs> that's how that's how I met the Tour de Force uh, women. Um, that through um, the Meat Livestock Australia. So there, there were, you know, we got away, but it wasn't, usually it was work-related. But it's still, like, it, it gives you a chance to just get out for a second and do something other than, you know, look at the, the usual walls around you as you are cooking. And that is... Yeah. You need it. You need it in order to keep up your creativity. Yeah, and I think that gets lost uh, sometimes, and I, I'm just so curious about how this is all going to play out. But I want to also get back to uh, Chinese New Year and the importance of it, especially in a time like like now when um, you know Chinatowns and, and Chinese restaurants have been just demonized and suffering and, and all of that. And I'm really appreciating things like Grace Young's uh, campaign to save Chinatown. And it's, and um, she wrote a piece for me, Jacqueline Church from Boston wrote about, you know, Chinatowns in Boston and, and, uh, you know, and sort of what they're facing against. Can you talk about the, you know, the importance of that, especially right now? Oh God. Yeah. I love Grace, by the way. <laughs> she's such a special human being. Yeah. She's awesome. Um, yeah. I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people have been avoiding Chinatown because of you know COVID fears, and that's really unfortunate because um, it, it's it's unfounded on some level. And um, yeah, I mean, it looks it uh, Chinese Chinatown restaurants have um, been closing at a much higher rate than um, overall restaurants, uh, and you know, I think we need to support them as much as we can. Yeah. I mean, it's a Grace's campaign. Um, I will drop a link to it in the show notes. But what she's doing is an incredibly important thing and really highlighting the humanity of the people behind these restaurants, because it's not just food. It is. Yes, I mean, yes, this is. Yes. Oh, this is. And it's living history, too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, it, you know, as, as someone who grew up in the Midwest, um, you know, I had a, in a multiracial household. I. You know, I and I feel because I feel like I've been pigeonholed quite a bit because of my race, mm-hmm. um, but this has actually made me really want to embrace embrace that part of my identity, and uh, it's 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 been quite interesting, and and I'm you know really happy to be doing this work with uh, a writer's odyssey, um, you know, because of it. Yeah, I mean. So where in the Midwest did you grow up? I grew up in um, Michigan, in Birmingham, Michigan. It's a right. suburb of Detroit. Yeah. And uh, it, for some reason in my head, you were in Massachusetts, but this is my pandemic brain putting together all the M states. No, I, I was in Massachusetts as well. I went to, <laughs> I went away to, um, I, I got sent away to boarding school when I was 15. Um, yeah. I didn't quite get along with my stepfather. So, um, yeah, so I spent um, some formative years in Massachusetts. Well, I love Massachusetts. So what was that like then, just out of curiosity, that sort of uh, in boarding school, did you get a chance to, you know, what was food like there? Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember when, the, when I first got there, I loved my school. I thought it was it was the greatest place for me at the time um you know the being sent away was kind of you know really damaging yeah um but 
being at that school was probably saved my life. It was, it was great. Um, the food there, um, I think has gotten a lot better <laughs> than when I was there. I mean, we didn't, you know, gosh, we ate a lot of junk food, I think. Um, not through the school, but you know, <laughs> in, in town. Um, but, you know, I, I remember the first thing that they did in, in when I got there um, was give us a big clam bake because it's like New England mm. and it was just like a normal fun thing to do. And it and for me, that felt like a homecoming because I had spent a couple of summers on Cape Cod when I was growing up and, you know, lobster and, and steamer clams and corn that, you know, that was always my favorite meal. It was something that I asked for for my birthday every year. Um, in Michigan. <laughs> and just those moments of familiar food and connection are so incredibly important. And I've I found myself during this time, like, really craving particular things. I think because we're so deprived of, you know, tactile sensation out in the world. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. What are those things for you? Those yeah, dishes? I, mean, I, I think, yeah, I think food is identity. And, um, yeah, I've been making like my mother's chicken curry quite mm-hmm. often, which is something I hadn't made for years. Um, yeah, and she grew up in Malaysia, so it's sort of a Malaysian, you know, chicken and potato curry. Um, yeah, I mean, I made I made a Fusée au lardon salad the other day. Oh yeah. God, I want yeah. one this moment. <laughs> it's a it's a classic for a reason. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, that sort of brought me back to my time in, um, in France. And uh, what else have I been making? You know, all, 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 all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, again, I, I grew up with all different uh, cuisines. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just the act of making it. My, my husband is somebody who doesn't usually follow recipes so much. He just sort of cooks by instinct and he's really good at it. But he he has been watching more food TV recently, but specifically watching like Mary Berry's Country House. And uh, it's really sweet. Like he has such a thing for like English Country House kind of stuff. So for the past two weekends in a row, he has uh, he's, he made Coca Van one weekend and then he made Kakaliki soup uh, yesterday. And it was such a beautiful thing because he's somebody who is very, when he cooks from a recipe, it is because he has seen it on TV. <laughs> and I think that's really lovely and a, and a beautiful yeah. thing. And it just makes me think like, I want to make sure he watches even more food TV <laughs> because <laughs> it has such a huge influence on people. And, you know, and again, it's that sort of way to connect with somebody and, you know, you've done so much uh, food TV and I'm curious about that sort of connection with the, with the audience. You're doing this thing that is, you know, on TV for the ages. <laughs> Once it's recorded there, there it goes and people can see it over and over. Like when people tell you that they have, you know, that they have made your food and now in the days of social media, they can show you that they have made your food. What does that connection feel like for you? Oh, it's wonderful. It's a, a validation. It sort of, it makes you feel like your work is worthwhile. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So are those are there any of those particular dishes that you have made like on on these that you have found that people just really respond to and you're like trying to figure out the magic of why that dish? Um not so much on TV. Mm-hmm. But from uh, the book maybe. Yeah, definitely from the book. I think, you know, I I think from my first book a lot of people mm-hmm. used to make my mother's spare ribs, which was like a, <sighs> you know, a three ingredient dish. Um you know, and then five ingredients if you count salt and pepper um yeah and everyone used to make those which was nice not everybody but people um people are interested in that one um yeah i mean i'll get uh you know instagram posts of people making things from my book and that's just great yeah i mean that's a really lovely thing because i guess before maybe somebody could tell you about it but now they can actually do that and share it and it's been such a curious thing to see you know especially while we're all separated from each other, social media, how it truly has become this, this social kind of thing and something will like go viral. And then all of a sudden people will be like, why am I seeing this dish 10,000 times on my feed? Oh, it's because whatever happened, you know, magic happened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it you're going to be making for this cooking class? Uh, 
I am going to be making um, longevity noodles. Um, oh, oh, right. You said, right, yeah. yeah. Sorry. I'm, yeah, with we can... beef, beef because it's the year of the ass. Oh, okay. Is it though? <laughs> the only ones that I know is like, I am year of the rat. My my particular <laughs> birth year. And I'm like, I'm okay, I'm cool with that. <laughs> Not really recipes you can make from that so much. I guess you could cook with ratatouille or something like that. <laughs> well, I'm sure somewhere in the world they, they uh, eat some type of, yeah, it is a rodent, I guess. <laughs> it was where I actually was weirdly having this conversation last week about um about sort of I've heard rodent isn't actually all that <laughs> delicious to to eat because the fat is not great. But and I think the only time I've had it is I had kui once. Yeah, and kui, yeah. Yeah. And it, I actually yeah. I actually liked it and it was fine. Um you just sort of like special and it was in my neighborhood, weirdly. I live in Park Slope and y- you could get kui and that was kind of a lovely thing. Like you had to call ahead so they could actually get one. Oh, so, I, liked, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was delicious. Yeah, the place <laughs> the place has gone away. So sadly, I can't I can't do that again. No. But you know, it's it's also you know sort of cooking as we you know been in isolation and stuff. Some of these things that have taken hold are it's kind of amazing to see what you know has collectively taken hold. Like people growing you know windowsill scallions and making sourdough or making particular project kind of things are you finding yourself sort of experimenting with new things or are you going for the tried and true um, i'm sure i've been experimenting a little bit probably not that much um because yeah i mean like we were talking earlier i i'm having cravings for familiar things um but that being said i think you know i've traveled a lot and i'm, I'm interested in all cultures and so I you know I mean there is quite a bit that's familiar to me because I grew up in you know I grew up as a cultural mutt um, <laughs> yep same <laughs> yeah so yeah um yeah yeah, it's an interesting thing to find that sort of an identity and like and when I say you know I, I was a cultural mutt I mean just like my dad is um really into genealogy and you know and he's been working on that especially a lot during this time uh you know during you know during covid and especially you know my 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 mom died 6 months ago and so he's you know found had a project to really throw himself into and he has been really exploring like he just had me send it my dna and uh you know sort of to explore all of the different places we come from because like my mother was, was full italian but the other part we just didn't know so we just grabbed little bits from from everywhere and it's been a really interesting uh sort of thing to see and i found myself leaning into welsh things during oh. the... yeah. yeah learning welsh cooking welsh things <laughs> All of that, and but it's made me feel more connected to my dad, which is a really kind of lovely thing. Great, yeah, yeah, and just like that hand, that hand kind of uh, work of it has been really nice. And do you find so you said you're you're on Long Island? Are you do you ha- do you have room to garden there? Are you a person who gardens? Yes, uh, I'm not particularly good at it. <laughs> um, yeah. That- that being said, I'd love it. Um, I what I, I think I need to cut back down some trees. The the, the garden doesn't get enough light. Um, I have a, a good friend who is a, a, a an organic farmer out here, and you know she helped me like test my soil and everything. And it's not the soil; it's the light. So and I and so and I'm I'm not going to blame it on myself either. <laughs> yes, free yourself from that. Yeah, I've done I've done what I can. You know, um, but um, yeah, I love it. I love it. I have a cold frame out there right now, um, just to protect my my remaining parsley <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's something that I've definitely seen people leaning into more during this time I have uh, oh 18 citrus trees a banana tree and a peppercorn plant going right now in my house along with two Where are you? you I'm in Brooklyn uh, yeah I, yeah you oh you can grow citrus inside and uh, I have oh, them under cool. lights oh yeah so I and uh, my rule is that I cannot grow anything that I can find in a store <laughs> easily so uh, I mean and some of these you can find in a store but it's a little harder so I have like lime quats and Buddha's hand and uh, cool. chinato and and Seville oranges and the sound everybody hears in the background is our dog walker showing up <laughs> 
<laughs> because this is this is just how we're recording these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the joy of having something living is such an important thing because when we when this is over and we get back out into the world, it is going to be having to rejoin society. I think it's going to be a tough thing for a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah, but, I've been trying to put. I want. I want to get a greenhouse, like you said, with the little lights and stuff like that. I've been wanting to do that for a long time, even pre-COVID. Now is your time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it just to me, it really feels amazing to be able to have this connection to something living and not blaming myself if it doesn't do well. I actually just wrote uh, a Substack newsletter about how to deal with kind of mourning a plant death. <laughs> and, and I realized like, am I perhaps outsourcing some of my emotions over my mother's death to the health and well-being of my plants? Could be. <laughs> it could it it could be that, <laughs> and uh, you know, at the same time, like I'm let myself easy on it. I'm like, oh, some fruit fell off. It's totally fine, and like giving my not excoriating myself too badly because I don't do it for a living. I do it for me. I've loved some of the things that you've written recently. And really oh, thank you, thank you. I you know I'm I kind of want to send you a, a, a citrus tree now. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'll send you a calamondin tree. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I want to ask you a few questions that I ask uh, all the people who come on here. I'd kind of taken a break from it for a little while because just we were, everybody was running around with their hair on fire and some of the questions seemed kind of like, ah. um, but I'd be so curious to hear what you have to say to them if you are willing to play the game. There, there you go. I'm, I'm here. Okay. Have you ever cried in the walk-in? I can't imagine I haven't. I, can't, I just can't. I don't remember. I can't imagine I have it. Yeah. 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 When, when, yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> it happens in the walk in. It doesn't it though? Like, yeah. and uh, I specifically remember Al, uh, Alex Cornishelli, and I've probably said this on the podcast before, is saying there's something about the combination of hot tears on your cold face. <laughs> that right. Is especially uh, just just comforting. And I remember, uh, I asked Will Godaro once about this and he said he takes his shoes off and stands in his socks, uh, just to get, connect his feet to the cold floor. Oh my God. <laughs> I kind of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great place to have solitude. I mean, it, you know, it, it feels like, you know, it feels like it, no one can hear you because it's, it's so insulated, you know, <laughs> we are all emotionally living in the walk-in right now. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> And also, I understand it's a great place to scream. I used to, I definitely used to scream in the walk-in. Definitely, yeah. And I know I, 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 I must have cried in the walk-in as well. I just don't remember, a, a, <laughs> you know. But I've definitely screamed in the walk-in. Our, I throw uh, yeah. butter in the walk-in, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so what? Tell me about throwing butter. Well, it's it's really satisfying, you know. It's like a you know one pound brick of butter, and it um it it it's heavy and. You, know, you throw it against the wall and it goes thud and it sort of sort of um, collapses a little bit. That was when I was much younger. I did not do that. I have not done that since my first job. But <laughs> I'm going to do that today. Okay. <laughs> throw some butter today. And... That's right. I mean, it's not so great for the butter, but. <laughs> <laughs> I was just reading um, Seth Rogen is making pottery now and he was saying about it like, you know, just sort of the physicality of that. And it feels like it would, it would feel like he's like, you're literally trying to keep it centered on the, on the wheel. And it just seems like it would have that same kind of tactile thing. Yeah. Um, I love it. Thank you for this. <laughs> like therapy through butter throwing. <laughs> so what is, what is the selfish thing that you want for you? And I ask this because like for folks, I, you know, I, I think I really believe in saying something out loud to the universe so people listening can help you get this thing. Gosh, yeah. I mean, I would like to be busier. Um, I would like to have meaningful work that's exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, um, I do have the luxury of, of waiting around. I'm, I'm able to wait around for the right thing, but yeah, I'm hoping to get... Um, I would like to get a consultancy where I can really still have a connection to a, a long-term consultancy where I can still have a connection to a kitchen um, and a restaurant. Um, 
you know, where I can go in and write the menu, set it up, make sure it's running by itself, and then walk away and then check in. Um, that's what I really would like. Um, and that's been hard. I've had a lot of people, um, I've had a lot of inquiries about it, but nothing has, uh, has solidified. So, um, Anybody would be lucky to have you, folks. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Me to hear for this. So what is your comfort food? Oh, gosh. I have so many of them. <laughs> I have so many of them. Um, I love macaroni and cheese. Oh, yes. Um, I love noodle soups. Um, any sort of noodle soup, like pho or, you know, wonton noodle soup, that sort of thing. Um, pasta. Yeah. You know, like Italian, uh, yeah, I've, I've been doing a lot of, I've been working on my pasta game over, mm. over COVID. Um, yeah, lo I love, I love pasta in any form. Um, gosh, yeah, can keep on going fish. I love any kind of fish. Really? Any particular, so is there any particular thing that you've been working with, like for, with fish that is just really doing it for you? Well, I'm not. Really, just as long as the fish is of good quality, um, you know, it's easier for me to get. Well, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an angler, so in the summertime, I'll, I get like fresh fish. That's actually. Can we talk about that first? Like, break away from the questions because our uh, senior food editor Mary Frances Heck said, "Please ask her about fishing." Oh, I love Mary Frances Heck. She's the <laughs> best. She is the best. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm completely obsessed. I, um, yeah, I, I, I make up for my perhaps lack of skill with enthusiasm. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I wish I could, you know, if I had, okay, so there's another wish, selfish wish out there. If I could yeah. just travel the world and fish and, you know, I'm, I'm a food fisherman. I don't really want to catch and release. Um, but I don't feel the need to keep everything either but um yeah I mean I would like to yeah I would love to travel the world and and go fishing that would be amazing <laughs> dear Netflix oh my god I would watch a show about that in a heartbeat of you fishing around the world like fishing and yeah, cooking been, around the world yeah I've been cooking it yeah <laughs> okay so let's let the show's in development now <laughs> thank you I oh my I I love <laughs> thank you for bring, for bringing up fishing because yeah Mary Frances had specifically wanted to know that but I think that's such a gorgeous thing and especially probably where you are on Long Island uh, do you, do you get to do it there yes um, yeah I fish and I live right off Murchis Bay um, and there's there's good fishing there um, there's also really great clamming there um, I know that there's scallops here. And there's definitely oysters here. I just don't know where to find them. Um, but all, all of that is is um, on the list. <laughs> I live near the Gowanus Canal where there there are oysters there, but you don't want to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> like a bike? I read a story about what uh, what would happen to you if you tried to drink a glass of water from the Gowanus. It was oh, not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Really, yeah. really not good. So what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Oh, gosh, that's interesting. Um, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I like that question. I just don't think I can answer it right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to remember because I am just a ball of emotions these days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, like, I think we had um, kanji today mm. for um breakfast slash lunch um and um my partner mary had never had it before which i thought was interesting because i've you know taken her to hong kong and you know we've been around the world together i just don't see how that's possible but she she had never had it and um yeah it was interesting you know have you know I, I grew up eating salted eggs and things like that and we i bought some salted eggs to put in there um and yeah, my mother had died a couple of years ago. Um, so sorry. Before, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was a while ago, and she had had Alzheimer's. Yeah. yeah. So we had, we had just somehow lost her anyway. Even yep, but, uh, that um, was my situation too. <laughs> oh yeah, so it's just a, a weird 
situation, but um, that you understand. Yep, um, all too yeah. well. <laughs> but so it was a kind of memory in a bowl, you know. Um, I don't know that I got particularly emotional, but it, there's definitely some memory there. Yeah, kanji, God, it's so comforting and so perfect. Yeah. And, and so adaptable too. Like you can, you can treat it all different ways and it's good God. It's such a beautiful, I'd kind of want to just go and be in a kiddie pool of it right now. Oh, yeah. It'd probably be good for your skin. <laughs> True. Yeah. I think I'm like, can I just stand in your yard and you're like, throw like, <laughs> I would really be delighted by that. So I've changed this next question because, you know, COVID, because I used to ask people, what is the last meal that somebody cooked for you in their home? But because we can't, you know, do that as much these days, what is the restaurant meal that you are most looking forward to? Oh gosh, so many. I mean, I, it's tough. I, yeah, I really, you know, my partner is the executive chef at um at the Musket Room. Oh, um, and she's got a bunch of new stuff that I haven't tried yet, so I really uh, need to get there um, and 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 try the the new things. Um, yeah, aside from that, I really really miss eat, having like omakase sushi at the, at the bar. <laughs> Oh my God. It's such a special thing. And you feel like the, the trust level of that is a beautiful relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it, it makes me whole. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that, that feeling afterwards where it's just like a high. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lovely, lovely thing. Oh, I want that for you. Is there a particular one? I know it's hard to like pick a favorite child or whatever, but is there a particular Omakase place that you want to get back to? Oh gosh, there's so many. There's one that just opened in my neighborhood that um, we actually got takeout from. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that it was, it was just outrageously good. And I'm blanking on the name. It's all right. If you think of it, send it to me. We'll put it in the notes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all right. So what, uh, what living musician would you want to cook for and what would you cook for them? Ooh, uh, living musician. Um, I want to cook for Macy Gray. <gasps> and Macy Gray. Macy Gray is amazing. What would you make for Macy Gray? I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe something straightforward. Maybe. Well, maybe I'll make her some pasta. Yeah. Because yeah, I've been working on some on my pasta game. Um, or maybe I'd make her a roast chicken. Who knows? Yeah. Is there a particular pasta shape that is really doing it for you? Oh, I yeah. I love making um, things like orecchiette. Oh. Uh, and, um, and what else did we have been making? Um, what's that one called? Uh, cavatelli. Those are, those are those are fun to make. Um, yeah. Um, but I yeah, there's for me I love spaghetti. <laughs> spaghetti I, I mean that's the yeah. kind of the only pasta. I mean I had like elbow macaroni or whatever. We were yeah. we were ter- <laughs> we were terrible half Italians. Right. <laughs> a lot of box mullers and some ragu on the top. <laughs> I grew up with that too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you live, you learn. And yeah. I, I was actually like weirdly craving that recently. <laughs> Maybe I'll do yeah. that with, with the cheese out of a shaker. Oh yeah, I don't. I wonder if I would like that these days. I mean, I loved it when I was a kid. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be so interesting to revisit. <laughs> so, final question: um, If you had five uninterrupted minutes for self care, what would you do? Ooh, um, just five. Five uninterrupted minutes. I mean, I always have five hundred. <laughs> so many of them. What would I do? Right. Um, gosh, I, yeah, that's that's. I mean, I, I do that every day. I think uh, <laughs> I, I, I need to. I need to. Fix, I have something wrong with my left finger. Like I think mm-hmm. I sprained something. I would. Wow. I need to ice that. So that's my answer. Sorry, I'm sticking with it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's good. Like, you know, self-care. It's, it's hard. For yeah. a lot of us, it's, you know, it's been baby steps throughout uh, all of this. And I know that as part of my self-care, I'm going to be uh, getting a ticket for your cooking class because that's going to be a glorious thing to watch and and to make at home and to shake up my rut of cooking at home. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've never made noodles before. 
So I, so are you actually going to be making the noodles, making no, lunch? No, no, no. I mean... I'm just, I'm just making the dish. Um, okay. Yeah. This is I like a, it, it's going to be a short, uh, quick, fun video. Um, just how to, you know, I, I bought the noodles and I'll, 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 I'll show you how to put them together. I love that. And I love, and I will uh, watch the film as well. And if people want to find all of this, how can they do that? Um, I will be on Instagram live on the 11th, um, this Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And um, yeah, for probably about 20 to 30 minutes, it should take me. I'm not quite sure how long. Um, and then I believe I will post it to Instagram Live if you want to, or Instagram Live TV. This is the first time I've done this. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so I believe you could just watch it um, after, anytime after that. Um, you, you just have to find it. Lovely. And so we'll have all of the links in there and folks should, uh, I can't wait to read the book, watch the film, all that. Uh, yeah. Because... The film comes out on Saturday, on, on, on the, on Friday, on the 12th. That is just perfect. And I just thank you so much for your time. You've been, you know, somebody who's, you know, who's cooking. I love, I, I, you know, got to go to the restaurants and I just, it, when it was open and it was just such a magical, magical place and your cookbooks are spectacular. Just thank you for being the you that is in the world. I fully appreciate your, your expertise and your generosity with it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Perhaps we shall see each other in Norway. <laughs> oh, that would be wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much to my guest today, Anita Lowe. As I told her after we stopped recording, I have been such a fangirl for such a long time. This was really a genuine treat. I will be glued to that Instagram live and I cannot wait to see the film, read the book, cook those noodles. I mean, we all need to find time for celebration and community and just really plain old nourishment and I can't think of a better way to do that so uh please join me the links are in the show notes and also I remember it occurred to me after we finished recording 100 pleats that's the pleats in a chef hat not the pleats in a dumpling I had dumplings on my mind <laughs> Anita used to have a dumpling restaurant and I think I fused them in my head together but whether it is a chef hat or dumplings hey it's all again it's 2021 like I said up top brains maybe not always the best they can be but my heart's in the right place for it as is Anita's and as are the hearts of all of the really amazing people who go into making both Food and Wine Pro and making this podcast and Tara Sinha like could not function without you she's our producer she is a genius and I am grateful to her every gosh darn day I get to work with her as I am Sarah Crowder who handles our visuals for the podcast I work among geniuses and also on Food and Wine Pro which I mentioned up top that is the part of foodandwine.com and in the magazine and someday again in real life events where we are telling the stories of the humans who bring us all of this food that we love so much, whether, you know, they're restaurateurs, they are chefs, they are purveyors, they are advocates. It's all of the people in the food system and uh, everybody's having a tough time right now. You don't need to be told that. But if you want to read more of these stories, you can go to foodandwine.com slash fwpro and there you can also sign up for the weekly Food and Wine Pro newsletter written by our editor-in-chief Hunter Lewis with an assist from me and our associate restaurant editor Osette Babur. Also, a couple geniuses there along with our brilliant Kelsey Youngman who you'll hear from in just a moment. Uh, she shares with us her mantra every week at to give us a great start to the week at our um, meeting all staff really just sets the tone for the week and uh, just really puts us in the right place if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast tell a friend about it and leave those the stars and reviews gosh I'm begging you here <laughs> this is this is this is where we are it is uh the really great way for us to rise up in the algorithms so people can actually find and listen to this podcast which we really love to do and those comments those shares those likes whatever platform you're on they go a really good long way into ensuring that people can actually hear this podcast. Um, if there is somebody who you think that we should be talking to, I would love to hear about it. 
My email address is cat.kinsman at foodandwine.com, and you can find me on Twitter at kitten with a whip, and I would love to hear what you want to have to hear discussed, or people who you think could really use a spotlight. I would really love to talk to them. I also really want you to take great care of yourself until the next time we speak, and I'm going to kick it over to Kelsey. Hi there, it's Kelsey, and I'm back with another mantra. K-I-S-S. Apparently, for the kids in my building anyway, it is Valentine's week. They've been sharing notes at a social distance and swapping well-wrapped sweets, being wonderful examples of spreading love and cheer. Although none of us is perfect, and walking into our heart-filled building after sledding this weekend, the pair of siblings were having a less-than-loving exchange about who threw which snowball and who reigns as snowball champion, as siblings are wont to do. Their grown-up gently reminded them to speak to each other with kindness, even if they were upset, even if snowball rankings were at stake. And with deep breaths, they reminded each other to keep it simple silly, a kind twist on that helpful little phrase that had everyone laughing and resetting. So this week, keep it simple, keep it loving, and may you all win all of your snowball fights. Swack. Thanks. Have a beautiful and love-filled week.